All right, today we're gonna to be talking about a counterintuitive philosophy and methodology for landing your first job as a software engineer. If you're like me, you've probably been on LinkedIn and you've seen Cody Bootcamp grads who, who post posts that, that go something like this. I applied for 300 positions over the course of six months. I got 290 rejections. I got 10 interviews and it came down to two offers at the crappiest companies I could think of, places that I didn't want to work. Now, this has sort of become conventional wisdom for coding bootcamp grads or career changers at all who wanted to change into becoming software engineers, and it's all backwards. Perhaps for other industries, this kind of job search works, but as a career changer, you need to do something different. And I would say to flip this process up on its head, instead of submitting 300 applications, think of your dream company. What's the one place that you really wanna work? Now your task is to make a connection with a real person because the reality is you're probably going to be almost 0% successful if you just submit a cold application because your resume is literally saying, I don't have experience doing this. No matter how awesome your resume is, you'll probably get that automatic rejection. So that being said, this episode is not just a regurgitation of articles that you can find online with very typical cliche job searching advice. We are going to walk through the philosophy, the methodology that we've created over seven years of running and launching code schools, which has led to the success of countless career changers. So whether you're in the job search right now, you feel fully equipped from a technical standpoint and you're trying to land your first software engineering job um, or you're changing jobs or you're, you're just beginning this process of learning to code and you want to know what does it look like when I get to the end when I'm ready to job search, this is the episode for you. It's going to be very detailed, very specific. So be ready to, to take notes and more importantly, to take action. That being said, let's get started. Welcome to the Develop Yourself Podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by developing yourself, developing your skills, your network, your habits, and more. I'm your host, Aaron Hayslip, and as I talked about in the intro here, we're jumping right in to the job search. All right, so it's just me today. This is going to be less of a conversation as we would normally have when we do an interview or that kind of thing on this podcast, and more of a lecture. So think of this as you know, you, you've gone to a meetup, some kind of uh, event, and, and I'm getting in front, up in front and, and I'm gonna start speaking. Um, you probably weren't gonna raise your hand and ask questions anyway. Uh, let's, let's face it, it takes a lot of guts and, and few of us wanna do that. So imagine you went to a meetup and, and this is what we're gonna be talking about. Um, so that being said, I'm going to break this quote lecture up into a few different parts. And I just wanna give you the outline right now so you know what to expect in this episode. We're gonna start by talking about what the conventional wisdom is, kind of like I did in the intro there, and why it won't work. And then we're gonna move into five steps for this job search process. Now, you might be skeptical here that I've got these nice five steps. And as you'll see here, these five steps are more or less made up. You could make this into 10 steps, three steps, etc. But we're gonna be walking through kind of the five main facets of, of our philosophy around this job search and really why it's been so successful. So that being said, let's start from the very beginning here. And we're gonna talk about why what you are doing or what you are planning to do will not work. So as I said, most people think whenever they think of the job search is it's numbers game, right? It, the more places I apply, the greater my chances will be of, of actually getting a job. 
as if the job market's a lottery and every application I submit is a lottery ticket. But as you should probably imagine, that is not the case for a number of reasons. One, not every job holds the same value, either financially or for your emotional well-being, right? You shouldn't want to work at every company that would hire you. The, the truth is a lot more companies would hire you than you think. And two, this assumes that by submitting an application that you're actually now in the running for the job. And the truth is your application maybe and probably won't ever be seen. And the reason for that is, you know, a lot of times these companies use some kind of applicant tracking software, you know, referred to as an, an ATS, and it will basically scan your resume and try and match your resume against the job description. Now, sometimes this might look like experience. And so, you know, at face value, your resume shows that you have no experience. Now, no matter how great your resume is, and, and I suggest, you know, I hope that by the time you're searching for jobs, you have a really, really great resume that shows that you've got real experience, right? You, you've built real projects. Um, and maybe that experience, by the way, probably counts for, for something significant. I know a lot of times the, the grads from my programs have gotten jobs that have required, you know, two to, to five years experience, sometimes even senior level positions, because, you know, that's a, another conversation. But, it, but how do you account for years of experience? Not all experience is the same. So someone could have three years of, of a really bad experience with lots of bad habits and, um, you know, very little lessons learned versus somebody who doesn't have any actual paid experience, but they've got a, a boatload uh, of quality collaboration um, and, and experience building real apps. That being said, if you just submit an application cold, you submit your resume to a job posting online, your chances of actually getting that job or moving forward in the process is, is very, very, very slim. And in fact, I'm going to imagine that the negative consequences of submitting that cold application will probably actually outweigh the positive chances of you moving forward in the process. Because likely what's gonna happen is you'll submit your application, you'll get excited about it, you'll be waiting around for it, um, you know, hoping that someone's gonna see it and call you and you know, you're gonna be clicking refresh on your, um, you know, on Gmail and checking your phone and you know, listening to every voicemail. And then you're gonna get the automated rejection that doesn't even come from a real person and immediately your confidence is gonna get um, is gonna get a hit. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. That's gonna be actually gonna be step one is managing your confidence because that has the potential if you get a rejection to slow you down for days, sometimes even weeks, and to really discourage you and to, to hurt your chances at getting other jobs. So it's not a process without consequences. If you submit an application at a place and you don't submit it the right way and you get rejected, then there is some real harm that can be done to your job search process. So that's kind of one point here is your resume, your application, it's just not impressive. You know, the good news here is most people are doing this. So you're probably really gonna set yourself apart if you follow the directions we're about to go over for how you should do your job search. 95% of people out there, maybe more, aren't actually even even doing this, I would, I would bet. Um, another point here is that your certificate, whether whatever that is, whether you got a certificate from a coding bootcamp, um, whether you got an online certificate, honestly, even if you got a computer science degree, it really doesn't have any value in itself. No one is going to look at your LinkedIn and say, oh, wow, they have a degree or they have a certificate 
from such and such coding bootcamp. No one cares, to be honest with you, um, that, that you have that. This is a field in which your skills and your actual accomplishments mean so much more. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, that's amazing, right? You don't need to go to school for a four-year degree to land a job as a software engineer. But on the other hand, if you do have a, a computer science degree or a coding bootcamp certificate, those certificates in and of themselves are not things that are going to get you a job. You, you don't have a ticket. There is no ticket to a software engineering job other than proving that you can do the work. So all that to say, above all, you need to find a way for yourself to stand out, right? Because I would imagine if you're at this point of being ready to apply for jobs and gauging whether you are or not, that's a whole different conversation, but let's assume that you are, then your goal is to get your work in front of somebody, right? And probably what's gonna happen is an interview where you can actually show what you've built, you can um, show that you can pass a technical challenge, which I, I'm sure you're scared to death of, but I, I promise you that there is a place somewhere for you where you can pass their technical interview process. You just need to get your foot in the door so you can show them that. Okay, so hopefully at this point I've convinced you that the conventional wisdom of the job search, apply everywhere, just blast your resume, spend your days searching for, for new job openings, um, hopefully I've convinced you that's, that's not the way to go. And to be honest, if it really is just a numbers game, that's a scary prospect because that means your success is dependent on your ability to find new job openings. And that's a whole other conversation. Sometimes companies don't have their jobs posted yet or their jobs are worded a little bit differently. They might be asking for a senior position but would actually consider junior candidates. Um, and maybe you're just not able to find the, the posting itself. So um, if you're relying on that, you know, you're really going to feel like this is a scarce market because at some point you're not going to be able to find new job openings that appeal to you. But thankfully, there's a different way we can approach the job search. So I'm going to go ahead and outline the five steps, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time going one by one over these five steps. So step one is to get your mindset right. Now, that's going to sound cliche but I promise you this is the most important step. Like I said a moment ago, this whole job search process is really about managing your confidence so that you believe that you can get a job to the point that you actually take the kind of actions and take the steps necessary to, to actually land that job. Number two, we're gonna ask you to identify your dream job or two or three or four or five, we'll go over that. Um, but we're gonna start with the places that you actually wanna work. As you're gonna see here, if you're trying to get a job at a place that you actually wanna work, you'll be much more motivated than if you're going to try and go after jobs that you know you just hope and pray will, will pay you a couple dollars to, to do some work. We're not going to be desperate. You don't need to be desperate. You, you have what it takes. All right, number three here, once we've identified our dream job, we're going to try and find a connection with a real person who works at this dream job company and we're gonna do this at all costs. So that's number three, we're gonna find a connection with a real person. Number four, we're going to ask for a meeting of some kind. If it's via Zoom, that's that's fine in the, in the days of COVID, uh, but the, the more human connection that we can make with an actual person at this company, then the better our chances are of actually getting into the, the formalized interview process. Number five, we're gonna call the critical follow-up. 
So you've probably experienced the discouraging reality of reaching out to someone either via LinkedIn or email, hoping for a connection and just getting ghosted. Well, I'd be willing to bet that 50% of those folks who ghosted you, you could actually convert into being an actual connection if you were to just follow up. So we're gonna talk about an entire system that we'll put together for how you can keep track of all of your follow-ups. If you follow these five steps, what you'll end up with is a set of evolving job searching skills, a growing network of contacts, and, and to be honest, action, right? You, you will have plenty of things to do in terms of propelling your job search forward. It's really not an apply and pray methodology. So that being said, let's get to number one, getting our mindset right. And the reason why we're starting here is because unless your mindset is where it should be, you're not actually going to do anything. Well, you're not actually going to do anything that matters. You're not going to do anything that's actually going to get you a job. Because there's a difference between action and motion, right? Motion is you doing stuff, you filling your schedule up with busy work that makes you feel good about yourself, that you you spent some energy today doing something but it's not actually going to move the needle where action is stuff that you do that can actually result in you getting a job. So an example of this in the job search process is motion could be you spending three hours making lists of companies that you might wanna work at, looking for job openings, but not actually trying to contact someone at these companies. If you have a list of 100 companies that you could work at, but you don't contact any of them, then you've just done a bunch of motion. However, if you start sending emails out, even to three individuals, you have taken some actual action that could result in you getting a meeting which would lead to a job. So the idea of motion is you could keep doing motion over and over again and not see results, whereas action will actually lead you into a situation in which some positive result could happen. And by the way, when I say situation, sometimes those situations are uncomfortable, right? If you reach out to somebody for a meeting because you're interested in their company and they accept, then you now have to have a meeting with somebody. And having a meeting with somebody who you're intimidated by can be really scary. It's it's extremely uncomfortable. So a lot of times we don't actually want to take this kind of action because we don't want to get ourselves into a position where we're uncomfortable. But if that meeting is on the books, then you sort of already have an excuse to have to do it. So everything you're gonna do between now and then to prepare for the meeting and be at the meeting and the meeting and the the process that comes after the meeting is all gonna be growth for you, right? So even if that meeting doesn't pan out, you've just done something extremely uncomfortable that will forever change you. And you'll be that much more prepared for it the next time. So action is where you wanna be. But when it comes to your, your mindset, the, the reason why we uh, so often are drawn to, to doing motion and repelled from action is because of your beliefs, right? Action is informed by your beliefs. You don't ask for a job because you don't believe that you can get the job. You don't believe you have what it takes. So therefore, it's at this point that we need to change our beliefs, which can be really hard because this is something that's in a lot of ways subconscious. So how do we change our beliefs so that we could have more courage to take action, the kind of action that's gonna put ourselves into situations that are uncomfortable, yet these are the uncomfortable situations that will actually lead us to a job. 
And for that, I've got a couple of practical solutions. One is to nail your one-liner. So this is kind of the first real practical thing that we've talked about so far. So nailing your one-liner. So the idea of a one-liner, kind of like an elevator pitch, which is the old cliche story that if you get stuck in an elevator with some kind of executive or decision maker, you should be able to pitch yourself and, and who you are in one quick sentence. Um, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. To be clear, I stole this idea of a one-liner from, there's a marketing book by Donald Miller called Building a Story Brand. And in this process, he kind of proposes that each business should have a one-liner. And the one-liner is trying to explain as quickly as possible to a potential customer why their business might be a solution to that potential customer's problem. And as I was thinking about it, you know, going through this process for, for Parsity, you know, learning marketing, um, I, I realized this is exactly what we need to do as people who are looking for jobs. We need to explain to potential hiring managers why we are actually a solution to their problem. And so where this gets us to mindset is if you can have a, a quick summary, a one-liner that explains why you are the solution to a engineering manager's problem, right? And, and their problem is probably something to do with hiring good engineers. If you can position yourself, um, have some words, a, a one-liner that you've memorized that positions yourself as the solution, then you'll now have an opportunity to believe that you are actually the solution and thus you'll have more courage to take action. Um, and by the way, this one-liner is probably also what you'd wanna use on your LinkedIn, um, in your bio, as the summary um, or objective of your resume. So it'll come in handy beyond just this exercise for yourself. Um, additionally, what I'll say about the, the one-liner here is that you can kind of create versions of this as well. Like, so let's say you're, you're at a party, which I don't know if you do these days of, of COVID, but let's say you're at a party um, and, and some random person asks you, hey, what do you do? And you're currently job searching as a software engineer, bam, you can spit this one-liner and maybe this person has nothing to do with software engineering, but they might know a friend of a friend who's an engineering manager at this awesome company. And because you said this, they're now gonna think, wow, this person is a, a solution to my other friend's problem. Let's, let's make a connection. It, it could happen. So here is the template for the one-liner. You wanna address the problem, right? So whose problem are we talking about? We're talking about probably an engineering manager's problem, whoever's gonna be in the position of hiring you. We want to explain that we are the solution and we wanna paint a picture for that hiring manager of what life would look like after they hire us. So here's a quick example. Um, it can be tough to find junior developers worth investing in who are able to contribute from day one, right? That's the problem. You start your sentence off with, it can be tough to find junior developers worth investing in who are able to contribute from day one. Um, now it's time for the solution, right? So you say, as someone with a demonstrated history of being a self-starter due to my past life as an entrepreneur, which by the way, this is kind of a side note, we are taking our past career and we are explaining how our past career really enables us to be awesome at this new career as a software engineer. And so for me, you know, I, I used entrepreneurship. Perhaps you have a failed business. You were still an entrepreneur. Um, that meant you were a self-starter. So with someone who is a self-starter, I am directly uh, responding to this problem of finding someone who's a contributor because obviously self-starters are contributors. They don't need someone else to initiate in order for them to start contributing. So again, those first two parts of the sentence, the problem solution, it can be tough to find a junior developer worth investing in who is able to contribute from day one. As someone with a demonstrated history of being a self-starter due to my past life as an entrepreneur, now here's the result. 
I'm able to learn on my own, but to also know when to ask for help from the rest of the team. So what we're saying here to this you know, potential hiring manager is that they've got a problem, we're the solution, and as a result, they're gonna see that I'm able to learn on my own, but to also know when to ask for help from the rest of the team. So, so even though we haven't gotten there yet, what this one-liner answers is probably the hardest interview question that you might get, which is, why should I hire you, right? And you can literally come right at it with this sentence. If, if a hiring manager says, all right, great, um, but why should I hire you? You can say, well, it can be tough to find junior developers worth investing in who are able to contribute from day one. I, I get that. But as someone with an administrative history of being a self-starter due to my past life as an entrepreneur, I'm able to learn on my own, but to also know when to ask for help from the rest of the team. Bam, if, if you have no hesitancy and you give that response, it's gonna be really hard for the hiring manager to not consider you. So we're still in step one here. The point of the one-liner in this scenario was just for you to gain confidence so that you could envision the, the end goal, which is setting an interview, getting the hardest interview question, which is why should I hire you? And then you having a, a great, well thought of, true, honest response that is gonna convey all kinds of confidence. So that's one way to change your beliefs so that you would have a positive, confident mindset that would enable you to take action. Now, the other way I'm gonna go over, and this is kind of the last part for the, the step one here, is to work on your habits. Um, I love, there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. He's sort of a, a self-help guru, but he's written probably the best book on habits that's ever been written. And one of the things he talks about is this idea of identity. And essentially, habits inform who we believe that we are. And he gives the example of someone who goes to the gym of if you're just new into fitness, perhaps you're overweight or whatever, you don't identify as the kind of person who goes to the gym, right? That's that's not you. So he tells the story about a guy who you know essentially wants to get into shape. So he just starts going to the gym. He doesn't even work out. He just shows up every day for a few weeks and eventually he starts doing a workout here and a workout there, et cetera. But his main idea was just to become somebody whose identity is one who goes to the gym. So I think the same thing is true for you as a software engineer. If you finish a coding bootcamp um, and you immediately stop coding, you start applying for jobs, then it's going to be harder for you to believe that you are a software engineer. So do the work of a software engineer. Code every day or as often as you can. Continue working on side projects. Do your best to enjoy the process but every time that you do write a line of code or that you commit to your GitHub, you are casting a vote for this new identity as software engineer. And along the way, hopefully this will help you believe that that is actually who you are so that you can gain the confidence necessary to take these difficult actions, which again, I wanna remind you, almost no one is doing. So you will immediately set yourself apart by getting your mindset right. All right, step two here is going to be to identify your dream job. Now, you might be asking, well, why do we need to identify our dream job? And really, as you're gonna see here, it's not just one dream job, but it's a group of jobs that you really wanna work at. And I'd say your top five to 10, you wanna have those down, probably order your top five from the one you most wanna work at to you know the one you least wanna work at, which you still really wanna work at. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you go right for the jugular 
and say you want to work at Google or or Facebook. Um, but I think it's a possibility. They, they, they might could make it up into your, your top five or 10. I'm really thinking of what are those regional companies, the, the kind of the smaller ones that aren't the main thing companies that you admire either their product or their culture, the, the jobs that you, you would be really, really, really excited to have. And the reason for doing this is fourfold. There are four things here. One is you have what it takes to not settle, right? You don't have to settle. You are worthy of a good job, regardless of whether or not you feel prepared, which by the way, you'll, you'll never feel fully prepared. Um, two, you won't be motivated otherwise, right? If you're just applying for crappy jobs because you think they will take you, then you're not gonna be motivated to actually do well in the process, right? If, if you're in an interview and they say, why do you wanna work here? And you don't wanna work there, then you, your made up interview answer is gonna be pretty lame. But if you're in an interview where they say, why do you wanna work here? And you actually do want to work there, then it's not going to take any fabrication for you to explain with genuine passion oozing from your face why you wanna work there. Um, and that's number three, right? Your, your passion is actually going to be genuine. So at every step in this process, um, you might you know risk being overzealous, but really there's no such thing. And four, you need to remember the job market isn't scarce, it's abundant. It's a total lie that there's a saturation of junior developers out there. There's not even an agreement of what a junior developer is. There's no agreement of what it means to have one to two to three to four to five years experience. What are those outcomes, right? What does it actually look like to be a junior developer? In fact, the reality is there is an overwhelming need in the world for you, right? We really, really are desperate for new software engineers. So remember that you can go after the company you actually wanna work at, you just have to set yourself apart. So that being said, after you've got your list of, you know, let's start with five, um, maybe even go up to 10 companies that you really wanna work at, we're gonna get really practical by moving on to number three in which we're gonna find a connection and more than one connection, by the way, at that company. So the first question becomes, who is it that we're trying to connect with? And I'd say a decision maker, right? So a decision maker for an engineering job at a tech company could be the CTO, right? Depending on the size of the company, um, you know, if it's a very big company, the CTO, the chief technical officer, probably won't be someone you're able to talk to. Um, it might be the VP of engineering, an engineering manager, a senior engineer, a recruiter. Um, some, some companies have internal recruiters that work for the company whose job is to hire more employees. This is pretty common in high growth startups or, or large companies who are just kind of always, always hiring. So we wanna connect with someone at that level. So how do we actually find them? Well, there are a few ways. One is through personal connections that you already have, right? Pre-existing relationships or, or networks. So this idea of network mapping, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but you, you basically sit down and you think about all the different places that you've created networks of friends or acquaintances in your life. This might be through high school or college, you know, something through school. It might be through church or other clubs, organizations that you're a part of. It might be your, your parents, friends, um, extended family, uh, past jobs you've had, right? You could really create a large network on paper based off of all the people that you know and who they know. So you might actually have a personal connection at one of these companies that's on your list, or it might be a second or third connection. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm using the language of LinkedIn because that's kind of the next best option is to use LinkedIn because LinkedIn is really there to show you that. Like, who do you know? 
and who do they know? So look on LinkedIn. Um, there is uh, there's a lot of ways you can do searches on LinkedIn at that specific company for the people who work there. Another way is to look at their website, right? If you go to a company's website uh, and you go to their about section, normally it will show the leadership team. And again, depending on the size of the company, the person who you need to connect with, the decision maker in terms of hiring software engineers might be listed on the website. So you can immediately start trying to reach out to them. Now to get real practical here, for the rest of this episode, I'm going to walk through a scenario in which we have identified just one of these companies and the steps that I would take to try and get a job at this company. And in fact, I have taken these steps to get a job at this company. I did get an offer from this company at one point. I didn't take it and ended up starting a code school instead, but I wanna walk you through what that process might look like. So the company that we've identified as one of our dream jobs is a company called Pendo. They're out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I live in Durham, North Carolina right now. So it's, you know, it's, it's our neighboring city right next to us. I think it's one of the coolest companies in the Raleigh, Durham area. It's a great startup, the great culture. Uh, it's got a valuation of over a billion dollars. Back in the day, whenever I was applying to work there, it wasn't like that yet. Um, but anyway, this this is the kind of company that I would identify as, as a dream company, the, the, the type of place that you would really wanna work at. So that being said, let's imagine that I'm looking for my first software engineering job. I wanna work at Pendo. The first thing I'm gonna do, according to our process here, after I've got my mindset right, I've, I've identified the companies I wanna work at, Pendo is one of them, is I'm gonna drill in on Pendo in particular, and I'm gonna try and find a decision maker. So the first place I might go to is my network or LinkedIn. In this case, if I go to the website and I go to the about page, there is indeed a list of everyone who works on their leadership team. Although at this point, the company is so big that those are probably not people I'd want to try and reach out to just because they're, they're probably uh, not folks who are gonna be willing to connect with me at all because they're they're leading leaders at this point. They're not actually making individual hiring decisions, at least at a, a junior level. So I'm gonna to go to LinkedIn and I'm gonna type in Pendo. And what's gonna come up is a list of people who work there. And it's going to immediately tell me if I know anybody who works there or if I know anybody that knows anybody who works there. Now, these people I could start reaching out to immediately for, for introductions, and that's actually what I did. In the past, I, I reached out for an introduction to someone from Pendo. Another thing I can do is in LinkedIn, I can look specifically at engineering manager at Pendo, right? I can, I can search for that exact uh, position at Pendo and I get a list of people who are engineering managers at Pendo. And the reality is though these people are important and they are leading teams and making hiring decisions, these are folks who have capacity to meet with me because one of their chief concerns is hiring more engineers and screening for talent. So if I can go straight to them, then my chances of at least making a good impression are pretty good. So at this point, I would start to identify a few different people. I might even pick two to three people that I find on LinkedIn from Pendo, who I'm gonna say, okay, these are people that I'm going to start targeting as connections um, and try and build a relationship with them so that I can see if Pendo is a good fit for me. And it may not be, by the way. You know, you might find out through this process that the people you reach out to don't actually like working there and they're on their way out. I don't think that's probably the case with Pendo in particular, um, just in case, you know, anybody from Pendo's out there, shout out. But this process will reveal that to us. All right, so we're now ready for step four since we've identified the companies we wanna work at. We've even drilled in and it, it might feel like you're stalking people, but you're not. People are on LinkedIn to be connected with and, and probably 
if they work there, they're on LinkedIn. And so we've identified the people we wanna start reaching out to and we wanna build relationships. So step four here is ask for a meeting, not a job. Now I say meeting and not a job, I, I add that not a job piece for a particular reason. At this point, before someone knows us, before we've actually made an impression, we don't want the first point of contact to necessarily be us requesting a job or to be considered for a job. Because at this point, they have no basis to push us forward in, in the job search process other than the fact that we reached out to them for an email. So we run the risk of being rejected and kind of blowing that contact because if they say no, sorry, um, not considering candidates right now or, or whatever maybe excuse they might use to to essentially softly reject you. And by the way, that's, that's not a bad thing. They probably should softly reject you um, if, if they don't know you. But if they do, then you don't really have any reason to follow up with them again, right? That would just be weird and it might be stalkerish or borderline harassment if they've already said no, I don't wanna to talk to you and you keep on following up with them. So don't waste this initial request. The request is not for a job, it's for a meeting. You might have heard this referred to as an informational interview. And the idea here is that you're just gathering information about the company. Um, you know, And that could be the, the reason why you reach out. You basically are gonna reach out to this person and say, hey, I'm super interested in what the company is doing. You know, I, I've been following Pinduoduo for years. I love how they make products better for product owners, et cetera, whatever that is that that company does well and is known for. But the idea of reaching out here is that you wanna build a genuine relationship. And even though in this scenario that relationship is being kicked off by a formal email, the conversation and the human contact will nonetheless build some kind of relationship. And if there's a relationship there, then they are likely to recommend you for a job or at least to help you through that process. Now, even if this doesn't lead to a job, I assure you the meeting is more than worth your time. You are building up your network and you'll never know when you might need that contact again. Or even if you get you know, a rejection in this job search process now, maybe because of that connection in the future, you will land the job. I've got this same story um, under my belt to where I originally applied for a dream job of mine when I first became a software engineer. I didn't get it at first, but a few months later, I was contracting. My contract ended at this other company. I approached that contact that I had at the original company, and sure enough, the, the timing was right and my skills were there and I got that job. So you never know. This is gonna be a worthwhile process regardless. All right, so going back to where we were, right? We've uh, identified Pindo as one of our, our dream companies. We've looked on LinkedIn. Let's say that we found three or four individuals um, that can make decisions on the hiring process. We think we find one engineering manager. Um, I found a real person, their name is Brian. I'm not gonna say their last name, but just wanna give a name to this imaginary person that we are talking through in, in this process. So we are trying to reach out to Brian, right? We wanna build some kind of genuine relationship with Brian. I mean, probably Brian and I aren't going to be planning any kind of camping trips or anything like that. We're not gonna actually become real friends, but we're gonna become professional acquaintances, ideally. And the best way to do this is with a face-to-face -face meeting, right? The, the more human it can be, the more impact you'll have on this person in terms of, of making an impression. 
So if you can't do a face-to-face -face coffee or lunch, then a Zoom call is really the best next option. But I really wouldn't say that a phone call is very ideal, and especially not an email in this scenario, because it's gonna be hard to build relationship between those two mediums. Okay, so practically speaking, the next thing we're gonna do now is try and find Brian's contact information. And you can probably find that information through LinkedIn or the you know internet search. There's actually some tools out there called, uh, one is Contact Out. It's, it's a little paid Chrome extension that you can put in that will actually extract email addresses from LinkedIn, which is which is kind of crazy. It sounds stalkerish, but you know I, I think it's I think it's legit. You should you should definitely check it out. So if our next step is then to write an email to Brian, the hiring manager or engineering manager at Pendo, then how are we going to write this email? Well, I want to do that by giving you some examples of email. So here's one email that you might send to Brian to ask for this meeting. And I want to tell you after I read it, and I want you to be thinking about this, why is this a bad email? What's wrong with this email? And here it goes. It says, hi, Brian, I've been following what Pendo has built to help companies build better products. I'm intrigued with how you write JavaScript that lives in so many different environments. As someone who is launching their software career, I'd love to meet up for a few minutes and learn more about the engineering team at Pendo. All the best, Aaron. Now think for a moment, what was wrong with that email? Well, not much. It was clear, it was concise, it was to the point. I said what I wanted, I said who I am, I talked about how I admired Pendo and perhaps even Brian's work. But when you're sending this first email for a meeting, what you want is for you to be able to have a meeting in as few email exchanges as possible. So Brian should be able to hit reply and in one email book a meeting with me without any kind of back and forth. Because every time we send an email to Brian and we need a response back to that email in order for something to happen, we increase our chances of the email chain going cold or Brian not responding. So we don't wanna do that. So instead, what I would say is at the end of that meeting, you write something like this. It says, here are some times I'm free. Tuesday at 9 a.m., Wednesday at 9 a.m., Thursday at 12 p.m. And the idea here is we want Brian to be able to respond and say, great, Tuesday at 9 a.m. works. So that means that my email needs to have everything necessary for this meeting to be booked. You wanna give a few times that you are available that are specific, but you don't wanna say, hey, I'm available at any time that, you know, I'm not doing anything, I'm not busy or important, I got nothing going on. If whenever you wanna meet, I mean, if you wanna come to my house tonight, I'll, I'll come to your house tonight. You don't want that, you don't wanna sound desperate, but give them options, give them options that you think might work for them in the morning, before work, at lunch. Those are kind of some times that people tend to be available. And if you're suggesting coffee, then find out where they work. Um, you know, if they're in an in-office setting, this is easier in the past whenever you know people weren't working remote. I do not suggest you go and find Brian's address, but know where the company's located and find the closest coffee shop. So it's really convenient for Brian. You can say, hey, Brian, I can meet you right down at the Starbucks at the corner of blah, 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 and blah, 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 which you might know is, is right by their office. And if you're suggesting a Zoom meeting, then go ahead and have the link in this initial email so that when Brian responds, it's already all set up. Or, or even say, let me know which time works for you and I'll send you a calendar invite with my Zoom link in it so that you know literally you've got one response from Brian, the meeting's booked. Now it might take a few more back and forths for it to happen depending on if just none of the times that you've listed work 
Um, but you know, you've made this as easy as it possibly can be by suggesting a few different times from the get go. Now, as a side note here, you might be thinking to yourself, why would they possibly want to meet with me? And let me stop you right there because that's the kind of thought process that's going to stop you cold in your tracks from this whole thing because you really don't know until you ask, right? And maybe they don't want to meet with you. Maybe they don't have time to meet with you, but that's not for you to decide. That's for them to decide because perhaps, and you really never know this, and I can promise you that it may not be the majority, but a, a large percentage of the people you reach out to will be enthusiastic about getting together with you. They, they'll, they'd love to talk to you about what they do and your journey and probably even at the very least, give you some advice and wisdom as you're walking this process. And the cool thing is that even if they're not a good connection for a job at their company, this person, their network is nothing but good connections. So they might be able to connect you with three or four other people who are hiring at, at, at their companies, right? You want them, but you really want their network. So at this point, there's nothing left for you to do other than to have the meeting, right? We're going to talk in a moment about following up. So what if Brian doesn't actually respond to you ever? Uh, there's some things that we can do in that scenario. But during the meeting, of course, be enthusiastic. Be yourself. Tell your story. Be the one to initiate conversation. Lead the conversation. Ask good questions. Again, a lot of this should be natural because if you're genuinely interested in the company, in that person, in their job history and their journey that they've been on to be where they're at now, then ideally the 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 meeting should run smoothly. Maybe a little bit awkward because first meetings are always awkward, but I bet it's smooth. It's going to be awkward for you. It won't be awkward for them. So just take advantage of that and, and find comfort in the fact that you aren't creating an awkward situation for them. You've created an awkward situation for yourself, uh, but nothing but good things can come from this. And if you bomb it, if you say something weird, if you come across as strange, you, you really probably haven't ruined anything at all anyways, because this isn't an interview per se. This is you hoping to get to an interview eventually. All right. Um, and before we move to step five here, you know, the, the critical follow-up, I would say that depending on how this meeting goes, they might allude to, and you might even be able to ask right straight away in, in the meeting, if there are job openings, they might give you a way that you can get to the front of the line in the interview process. They might even just say, apply online, I don't know, and they may not be the right person to talk to you, but you could ask them who the right people are. So it's basically gonna be through this meeting that you find out the best pathway to applying for a job there. Um, regardless, they're probably gonna to wanna to give you something, right, some kind of takeaway. So that takeaway might be suggestions or help, like I said, so th this meeting, without a doubt, won't be for not in any, in any scenario. And finally, we arrive at step five, which is the critical follow-up. And I call it the critical follow-up because this might be the most important step. How many times do you reach out to people, like I said a little bit earlier, and you never actually get a response back? And the reality is this is going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you all the time, but you've got a choice of how you can respond. You can either one, do nothing at all, which is what most people will do. And usually this looks like you believing a bunch of lies, right? This person doesn't like you. They don't think you're good enough. Um, in which case I would say it's time to go back to step one, which is getting your mindset right, believing you do have what it takes and doing the things you need to do to change your beliefs about yourself so that you can then send another follow-up email. Yes, that's right. That's the other option here is if they don't respond to you, 
then follow up. Say, hey, just wanted to put this at the top of your inbox or hey, just wanted to follow up on this. It can be as simple as that. And by the way, I recommend you do this every two to three business days until they either respond to you or you get tired of doing this. And that might sound insane to you because they don't owe you anything. And I, and I genuinely believe that they don't owe you anything at all. But I can't tell you how many times I've sent emails out to people and I didn't get an initial response. And it turned out, at least that's what the, the person said, that it was a mistake somehow. Right? They, they overlooked it. Perhaps they thought it was a mass email or that it just wasn't important enough at the time and, and they forgot about it. And even in the scenario that I'm outlining here where I applied for a job you know, years ago at Pendo, the first person I made contact with, they didn't respond to me. So I had to make the choice right then and there of, am I gonna keep kind of hammering and following up or am I just going to give up? Now, if they eventually respond and say, you know, in, in some words, no thanks, I don't have the time or I'm not the best person. They'll probably point you in the right direction, by the way. But even if they don't, and then you respond and you keep hammering them, that's that's harassment. But to get a response, um, it, it's gonna take you following up maybe multiple times. And that's why we need a system for keeping track of these relationships. So at this point, we are gonna build what I'm just gonna call a contact tracking system. You can either use a CMS like HubSpot or just a simple spreadsheet will do. But here are the pieces of data that you're gonna to need to keep track of for each contact. Their name, their company, their job title, their email address, the, the date of first contact, and then a note section. So essentially what we're gonna do now is you're gonna send out these initial contacts, right? These initial emails. So I'm gonna email Brian. And then a couple of days are gonna go by. I'm gonna look at my spreadsheet. I'm gonna see, oh, I emailed Brian on Monday. It's now Thursday. I haven't heard back from Brian. So I'm gonna send a follow-up. And I'm gonna just gonna make a note in my little note section there that I sent a follow-up on Thursday. That way, when Monday or Tuesday rolls around, right? Two to three business days then if I haven't heard back from Brian, I'm gonna send another follow-up. And I might do this over and over again. And you will not believe, and I have them in front of me, I've got pictures, screenshots of the number of times I've done this for, for people. And some of the things that I'm doing right now with my life would not be possible if I didn't continually follow up with people. One example here that I'm looking at, I sent an email to the CEO of an organization um, that, you know, I won't go into details for, for their sake, uh, but the CEO of this organization has really been a huge partner with um, some of the companies that I've started before and have really enabled us to, to do well in a lot of ways. And this person, it took me six emails, right? Um, before they actually responded back to an email of mine and it made all the difference in the world. If I had believed in those moments that I wasn't good enough or why I wasn't worthy, then the plane would have never even have taken off. And the same thing has happened to me a number of times in the job search process as well, right? If I just believe that if they, that their non-response is rejection, which it's not, then I'll, I'll never get anywhere anyway. So that being said, my, my last real piece of practical advice here is with that contact tracking system and kind of with this whole process in mind, right? Where you get your mindset right, um, so you're, you're coding all the time, you've got your one-liner. Two, you have, you've identified your dream job or a list of dream jobs, which by the way, every time you get some kind of concrete rejection, 
I would try and backfill that top five to 10 companies you want to work at with, with a new one, you know, as you're doing research. Um, three, you are trying to find a connection with a decision maker, right? A real person at that company at all costs. You know, one time, a long time ago, I even walked into a company's building and asked for an interview. I don't necessarily suggest you do that, especially in the online world, but, but do what you need to do to, to get actual connection. Uh, number four, then you're going to find that person and you're going to ask for a meeting, right? Through an email. You're going to write a simple email, the kind of email that's actually going to get you a meeting, the kind where they can respond in one email and you have a meeting booked. You're going to have the meeting. You're going to lead the conversation. You're going to be confident. You're going to be enthusiastic, which won't be hard because you actually really do want to work at that company. You're going to ask for connections or about the interview process. They're going to give you something from that. may not be exactly what you were looking for, uh, but if you do this enough, it, it really will be. Um, and hopefully they get you into the interview process. And that's a separate podcast, by the way, right? Where you're actually interviewing. And then five, the critical follow-up, right? You are going to every two to three days, you're going to keep track of these folks in some kind of contact tracking system. And you're going to continually follow up with them until you get some kind of response. Now, do this with one company, you'll have great results. Do this with five people at five companies. Your confidence will grow, your skills in the job search will grow, your calendar will fill up. As your calendar fills up, you'll feel the momentum building and building. Your contact base will grow. Um, and not only will increase your current chances of getting a job exponentially, but it'll increase your future chances of getting a job as well. Remember, you don't just have to apply and pray. That's the worst way to do this. You are worthy of being hired. Someone needs you to step in and fill a gap in their company. They just don't know you yet. So your job right now is to make sure that you stand out and can be identified. And don't forget, almost no one is doing this. So by doing this, you will immediately put yourself at the top of the list in terms of the most likely to land a gig soon. And lastly, I would say that this is probably going to be the only time you're gonna to have to do something like this, right? Um, software engineering is insanely high in demand. If you've got a couple of years experience under your belt, even one year of experience under your belt, it's, it's almost a sure thing that you're gonna be able to find another job very quickly, but, but hopefully you land initially at a place that is, is going to nurture you and can help you grow into being an amazing software engineer. All right, that does it for this episode of the Develop Yourself podcast. To learn more about our online code school, visit parsity.io, that's P-A-R-S-I-T.io. And you can find me, by the way, you can just shoot me an email. It's Aaron at Parsity.io. I am happy to, to help encourage you or guide you in any kind of specific questions that you might have on your own job search. All right, we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Develop Yourself podcast.